Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Ketogenic Nutritionist Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Stewart, registered dietitian and the ketogenic nutritionist. My why for this podcast is to further your knowledge on the ketogenic diet by discussing tips and tricks for weight loss, health updates, research updates, and all of my favorite recipes. Just think of it as all things keto. So let's jump right in, and thanks again for being here. First, I wanted to give you guys a couple of updates. Number one, if you didn't already know this, I am about seven-ish months pregnant. Um, so expect me to slow down a little bit in the, towards the end of March when baby comes. Um, and I want I say that because I wanted to let everyone know that my February group is going to be the last group that I run until after baby. So if you've been thinking about joining one of my groups or you're interested and you haven't reached out yet, please reach out to me. I'm happy to explain kind of what my group's about, the purpose of it. It is going to be a great group. I'm already excited for the women that have already joined. So you can reach out to me um, on Instagram. I'm at the.ketogenic.nutritionist. Follow me there if you don't already. And please, like I already mentioned, don't hesitate to reach out. Number two is that all of the questions I'm answering on today's podcast come from Instagram. So that is where I'm getting these questions submitted. So if you want uh, your question answered or you have something that's really, really pressing, please message me on there so that I can get your question answered on my podcast. So without further ado, let's pop into this episode. It's a little bit of a mashup. Like I said, these questions are all questions that I got on Instagram And questions, honestly, that I get frequently from my clients as well as uh, the social media world. So we're going to briefly talk about exogenous ketones, keto fake foods, habits over resolutions, and a couple of other things. But let's first start with exogenous ketones. So I know you've probably heard of these before. I think everyone's heard of them before. Um, Basically, what they are is they they kind of help your body get into ketosis without necessarily following a ketogenic diet. So they're basically ketone salts or ketone esters. The thing that I want you to know and that I am so passionate about is exogenous ketones do not take the place of following a ketogenic diet. So a lot of people think, oh, I'll just take ketone a ketone supplement and it will magically make my fat disappear and I won't actually have to put in any work. And that is very, very false, right? So they can be useful in several settings. And we're going to talk about some of those. And, but they're not a quick fix, right? Nothing's a quick fix. If you're ever marketed anything that says you'll lose 47 pounds in 10 days and you won't have to diet or exercise, that is just never going to be true. And your red flags should be going off all over the place. So let's talk about some pros. So exogenous ketones can get you into ketosis quickly. Okay, they can rapidly induce therapeutic therapeutic ketosis, and that is helpful. A lot of times people struggle to get into ketosis. The The exogenous ketones will help facilitate that. Now, there is a little bit of a debate whether that's true ketosis, because your body is technically not making ketones at that point. But they can get you into ketosis and they're very affordable. So ketone salts are very affordable. They're not hard to take. They're pretty well tolerated. They don't really cause any like GI distress or anything crazy. 
And one study even showed that they could decrease the appetite uh, up to four. No, I'm sorry, for longer than four hours. So that could be a promising market for appetite control. Now, mentioning the small study, I do want to just say there's not a great amount of research on exogenous ketones. It's getting there. And there's always more and more research to be done on the ketogenic diet. But just know that we should never be super dogmatic and very uh, set in our ways with nutrition because nutrition science is always changing. So please understand that um, there's not a ton of science on this, but um, it does look promising long term with the use of exogenous ketones. So anyway, back to the pros of exogenous Ketones is they can replenish lost electrolytes. So sometimes people will follow these, and again, limited studies on this, but people will follow or take the ketone salts when they start a ketogenic diet uh, to avoid the keto flu. So this has shown to help some people just kind of mitigate those effects of that dehydration, that electrolyte loss, and just transitioning into the ketosis. So those are some things that they can be good for in the very beginning some cons is they do require frequent dosing. So if you're using them to get into ketosis or you're using them like in replace of a ketogenic diet, they're really not super helpful. And they could cause like a lot of GI distress if you're taking a lot of them. So I previously mentioned they're pretty well tolerated at normal dosages. But if you're constantly having to take them because you're not in ketosis, because you're not really following a ketogenic diet, you're going to kind of mitigate the effects. So that's just a little bit on the keto, uh, the ketone salts or the keto salts. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the esters in a minute, but I do want to mention MCTs. So medium chain triglycerides are a type of fat that have very unique properties. They're like really, really quickly absorbed and converted into ketones in the liver. So MCTs are not an exogenous ketone and exogenous means just from the outside, but MCTs can induce ketosis even if there's not a carbohydrate restriction like in the ketogenic diet. Now, again, I want to say you should be following a ketogenic diet if you're using these things, but the MCTs are really, really helpful and they can help with that ketone production and elevate ketone levels. They're found in like natural foods too. So coconut oil has a ton they're very easy to digest and they can be added to like a ton of different food or beverages. Now, I say they're easy to digest. If you overtake them or you take them in very large doses, they could cause some issues for sure. So I just want to say if you're going to, they're a good combination with ketone salts and ketone esters, but they're not necessarily something that you um, want to be over consuming that could be potentially not ideal for you. So with all that being said, I just really, again, want to hone in on the fact that there's not a lot of science behind these. And there is a particular high amount of cringy marketing behind them. So like, I'll tell you some of my issues with them. Number one is the price. So some of the ketogenic supplements that I've seen are like painfully expensive, painfully expensive. And I'm just not convinced that taking those ketogenic, uh, exogenous ketones is going to be any better for your body than actually just getting into full ketosis. So that's my first issue is the price. And oftentimes they can be seen in MLMs. Number two is some of them, the companies won't disclose the actual contents of their products saying that there's like a proprietary blend. And you see this with a lot of supplements, a proprietary, proprietary blend, 
And for someone that you know, you're taking something and you're putting it in your body, but they won't tell you what the ingredients are. I that's a no for me. Um, and it probably should be from you too. But so some of these companies will do these secret recipes and I'm not cool with that. Um, if we're going to be open and honest and we're going to be taking things that can physically impact our body, we should know how much you're actually getting, um, and know what you are getting. Again, the, my, I don't want to say my third problem because I've said it like four times, but the lack of science on these, um, it, it seems like with these marketers that there's a ton of heaps and lots of great science, but if you really dig, there's really not. And even in some of the supple, uh, the, the research, you do see some, but they're really small studies. So it, it's hard to know. Um, number four, kind of my next con is the marketing, man, I hate like dodgy, sketchy marketers, especially with supplementing. And if it's like an MLM or something like that, it makes me feel even weirder. But th there's just a couple questionable marketing schemes that I see them do. So anyway, you hear my rant about them. I I'm not going to say that they're off the table and that they don't have potential in the long run. Like I said, hopefully there's going to be more studies on the therapeutic effects of them. But at this moment, it's not something that I recommend to my clients. And it's definitely not something that's 100% necessary for you to lose weight on the ketogenic diet. You're better off making the ketones in your own body than taking exogenous ketones to get them from the outside. I would much rather see you following a full-on ketogenic diet versus taking something something that's kind of like, I don't want to say the easy way out because I know people take them for legitimate reasons, but I, I, I do think they need to be taken in conjunction with a ketogenic diet. So I hope that clarified some things about exogenous ketones. If you need any follow-up on that, please feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram or whatever else. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to address that for you. Moving on to the next question I got was about keto foods that are marketed specifically as low carb or keto, but maybe aren't the best decisions for you uh, following a ketogenic diet. And this is a, a real problem. I would say out of you know, the hundreds of clients, probably thousands of clients now, honestly, that I've counseled, I, I see a lot fall into this trap. And it's not their fault. Honestly, it's the fault of the marketing of the food corporations. They're very, very sneaky. You can see that in the way that they market to our children. Um, but you can be a victim of this too. The label can read ketogenic low carb on this new product. But I just want to encourage you to be incredibly cautious of this. Um, keto, low carb labeled products like pastas, there's a lot of chocolate bars, energy bars, snack foods, cakes, cookies, you name it. There's probably a low carb version of these. It's really, really important that you become the investigator and you read the label carefully. Just because you're following a ketogenic diet doesn't mean that you need to write off avoiding artificial flavorings and dyes and artificial sugars and all the things that are just like fake foods. I call these foods frankenfoods because frankly, that's what they are. They're fake. Um, you need to read the labels. All right. So usually the fewer ingredients, the better. Like if, if the product has, you know, four or five ingredients and they all are natural from planet earth. Great. Um, I start having an issue when you see a paragraph long 
nutrition facts label and half of the things you can't pronounce and there's multiple types of dyes and artificial preservative everything you name of that's when that's when my red flags start going off and i'll tell you something else not only that but you have to understand that these types of products can promote in inflammation which can indirectly cause insulin resistance and these products can also cause insulin resistance and keep you out of ketosis so a lot of times when my clients are on a weight loss stall or they're struggling to lose weight i i want to take a look at what types of replacements they're doing if they're doing any replacements and what types of products these are a lot of times they can have hidden carbs that are not declared in the label or they can just keep you so attached to the cravings that you're unable to avoid them as well as the high carb foods they attempt to replace so there's a lot of talk about this that you still get that kind of like high and that sugar rush of having these sweets um when in actuality, you know, that's really fueling the flame for cravings. So just understand that, that those can be some of the potential problems here. So what I want you to do from that is I want you to look at the labels. If it has a ton of additives, if it has sugar alcohols or just any other types of sweeteners, it's still an ultra processed junk food. Okay. So these, these labels are lying to you and um, they're manipulating you in the sense that making you think this product is healthy. <laughs> there was a, a few years ago, I don't know if you guys remembered this, and I forgot the name of the pasta company, but it literally on their label lied about what was in the product. And they labeled it low carb. They may have even labeled it keto, but they got fined like $8 million because they were literally lying to people about what was in the product. So I just want you guys to be aware don't replace high carb junk food with heavily processed junk keto products. If you want like a dessert or a treat, make the low carb version of the treat yourself. There's a ton of different recipes online. You guys know I love dietdoctor.com. You know I love Yummily. There's several different recipe websites that you can use to learn how to make like keto sweets and keto desserts. So check those out. You're going to have lifelong success on keto if you learn to appreciate whole foods, foods from planet earth that are not ultra processed and just loaded with crap. This will help you be successful long-term. Also, be before I forget, you also need to be aware of label labels that don't necessarily read low carb or keto, but read net carbs or they say like low net carbs. That could be a creative way to hide the true carb content. A lot of times they'll add fibers and things like that. So just be just being mindful of, of those types of products. And I don't want to call out brands specifically on my podcast. I feel like there's probably some legalities there. But there are brands, um, and you guys know them, the ice cream brands. Um, they're just, you know, you're like, okay, is this really keto or is this still some sort of manufactured ultra-processed um, junk food? So that's my advice on keto frankenfoods. The next question I got was all about prescription medications potentially causing insulin resistance, which we know um, can lead to weight gain and all kinds of different stuff. And also just prescription medications that affect ketosis and getting into ketosis. And yes, there are quite a few. So I figured I'd let you know about some of these. Now, obviously, you need to talk with your pharmacist or doctor before you take yourself off of these. I'm not suggesting that by any means. But there could be some frustration if you're trying to follow a ketogenic diet and you're struggling and you're on one of these just because 
it could be uh, working against you. So there are some antipsychotic medications like risperidone, Abilify, Seroquel that can e increase insulin levels and contribute to insulin resistance, which obviously can make it harder for the body to turn fat into ketones. Lithium can do this as well. Epilepsy drugs, Depakote, Zonagran, things of that. Topamax is another one um, that can that can have this effect. As well as like think about um, cough syrups, cough drops, chewables, like anything. A, a lot of those over the counter medications, especially for children, have a ton of different um, sugar. A lot of them are made with sugar, high fructose corn syrup, which is extremely annoying. But that can be another source of carbohydrates if you're taking medications um, of getting them there. Now, there are a couple other categories that I do want to talk about. Um, that is corticosteroids. So those are really powerful medications that go treat, you know, inflammation from RA all the way to lupus. Um, corticosteroids steroids typically raise the blood sugar levels um, while you're on them, but definitely can come down after um, treatment is concluded, but a lot of people are on steroids long-term, which is a little bit scary because, um, there are some people that can develop, um, type two diabetes from these drugs and that's not cool. Right. So just being aware is your first step. So beta blockers are another one. So beta blockers, uh, reduce blood pressure. They can reduce heart rate. A lot of people are prescribed beta blockers for angina, heart disease, hypertension, or high blood pressure. They can reduce sensitivity to insulin as well, making you more likely of developing type two diabetes. Same thing with thiazide diuretics. So these are like water pills. Um, people take these for re reducing high blood pressure, or removing water, so again, some side effects of these is increased blood sugar, as well as depletion of a lot of electrolytes, which if you have followed keto for any long period of time, you know that um, you tend to not hold on to water like you once would um, on the ketogenic diet, which is awesome, but that can cause some electrolyte depletion if you're not care careful. We already talked about the antipsychotics, but I did want to mention the last one, and that is the oh, so wonderful statin. Um, and if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, um, it's there. And I'm not saying, I, I'm again, I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to make any comments on statins in general. I would just encourage you to do your research, research there. Statins are cholesterol-lowering medications. They've been pres prescribed and prescribed and prescribed um, many, many times. Um, but two times they've... Um, I don't want to say two times. In 2011, JAMA Medical Journal uh, linked them to higher doses of statin meds being higher risk for type 2 diabetes. And in 2012, the FDA even introduced warnings on statins to advise on the higher risk of high blood glucose levels, as well as memory problems associated with medication. So with this medication. So, hey, don't shoot the messenger. I don't want any nasty grams on Instagram from someone saying, oh, you're demonizing statins. Maybe I am. Maybe you should do your own research on statins. Um, so yes, prescription medications, a long, long-winded answer to kind of a short question. There are many prescription medications that can affect your ability to get into ketosis and furthermore can literally cause secondary type 2 diabetes, meaning that if you're on them long enough or you have the right um, fire in the body, they can cause full-on diabetes. So it's just, uh, again, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I just want you guys to be aware. And that's really what I'm here for is 
to make you guys aware of some of the things you may not have known before. So great question. Okay, and lastly, I want to talk about habits over resolutions. And don't get me wrong, I am all for the new year. I am not a party foul in this area at all. I really love the idea of like focusing on one thing for the new year. And, you know, some people are really good at sticking to their resolutions. The majority of people are not. And I'm, like I said, I'm all about it. New year, new me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. But unless you put some powerful habits into place, your resolution is more of a wish. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it is what it is. You have to have a plan for this. And so I I always talk about this because without a doubt, um, I have a, a, a very big leap in business as well as just people coming to me that they want to get healthy in the new year. And I please understand me and hear my heart on this. I want to help them get healthy in the new year. But like I said, unless there is a plan in place and habits are formed, it's very unlikely that you can just flip a switch and, you know, new year, new me. So I decided that it would be really a good idea to talk about habits over resolutions and talk about some science backed strategies to create habits. Um, I use these strategies. I teach them to my clients and my groups because if we're being honest, there's really no life change that happens without habits. And I've said this like four times already, but I, I really want it to, to hit home. If you don't have good habits, if you don't have good disciplines put into place, you can wish and dream and want, um, and someone else is going to make the life that they want to live and you're going to be left on the couch. Um, so I feel like I'm being kind of mean, but I'm not trying to be, I'm just, I'm just trying to say overall habits and discipline are what gets change done. So let's talk about some of these kind of principles here. There's, there's several things that you can do to start, making a good habit. The number one thing is you have to figure out what, what triggers you. Okay. So a a researcher at MIT figured out that basically there are three steps in the loop. There's always going to be a cue. There's always going to be a routine and there's always going to be a reward. So you need to figure out these, what these three things are for you. Okay. So figure out your cue or your trigger, figure out your routine and then figure out what you're going to give yourself or what is the reward? An example of this would be sit, sitting on the couch triggers you to watch TV. Okay. So that is all three of the steps in one. So secondly, you need to view your goal or whatever you want as obligation rather than a wish or desire. It's really important that you focus on it as, like I just said, it's an obligation. It's not just a wish. It's, it's an actual obligation. Number three is working on one habit at a time. So again, people always come to me and they want to lose, you know, 65 pounds in the new year. That's great, but we need to break it down into step-by-steps so that they all add up to equal your goal. So for an example, if your goal is to lose a hundred pounds, uh, the, in 2021 and th- you have some unhealthy habits and some unhealthy habits may be that you are continuing to drink a ton of soda, you night eat ice cream and you go out to eat for every meal on the weekend. Okay. So we're not going to attack these three things as a whole. We're going to attack them one by one. So you're more likely to master one habit at a time versus 
trying to take on five. You're far less likely to fail if you're just working on one. You don't need to revamp your entire life at once. You just need to make little tweaks. So with this, you know, client that I'm seeing that has these three bad habits, I'm going to have them start with number one, the one that they feel is most realistic to conquer at this moment. So maybe the weekend eating is something he and his wife do together and they're not willing to give that up. Maybe the nighttime ice cream eating is a family thing and he's not really willing to give that up, but, but maybe he's the only one or knows that the, the soda habit is killing him and he's, he's kind of ready to, to give that up. Then we're going to start there and we're going to start until we conquer that habit. And then we're going to go to something else. And that's how you build them up. That's how you, start creating change as you fix one at a time and then you stack one habit on top of the other. So in this hypothetical situation with my guy who drinks a ton of soda, eats a ton of ice cream and eats out on the weekends, we fixed his soda problem. So now let's work on the ice cream problem. Okay. So let's, let's talk about why he's eating at night. What, what is causing him? What is the trigger for him to eat at night? Is it stress? Is it just a, as a, it's a family habit that they've created. What is it? And then we're going to work on that habit. And then lastly, we're going to work on his weekend eating out routine. We're going to figure out what's happening there. Next kind of advice here is don't confuse your habit with your goal. Like don't dwell on what you're working for long term. So don't. It, so if I'm counseling this guy and he's got these three problems that we talked about multiple times, the Coke, the ice cream, and the eating on the weekend, I don't want him dwelling on the fact that he needs to lose 100 pounds. I want him dwelling <laughs> and thinking about how his habits lead up to the nighttime ice cream eating. So you really need to make sure that you're bringing it to perspective. Now, I'm not saying keeping the long-term goal is a bad thing. It's absolutely there, but you still have to focus on the broken down steps of that. Next, there needs to be minimal decision-making. Making choices is tiresome. There's science on this. It's called decision fatigue. It it finds that people that have to make a lot of decisions and maybe why your spouse or significant other comes home uh, exhausted, um, it, it really does ca cause less physical stamina, less persistence in the face of failure, more procrastination. So just understand that this is a real thing. So if you really need to, like if your goal is to read more, we'll, we'll stay away from the weight loss stuff. If your goal is to read more, create a short list of books. Don't create a 32 page book of books that you need to read. Okay. Just keep it small, keep it streamlined and narrow it down. And that's going to help you keep the decision-making fatigue at an all-time minimum. Lastly, reward yourself. So this is a big deal, right? It's very important that you need to reward yourself. Now, anytime I say reward, people tend to think like, oh, an external reward, like a gift or food or something of that nature, which could work. But your brain actually can reward itself um, naturally. So every time you check off a task, every time you do something on your to-do list, your brain secretes a hormone called dopamine, which corresponds with pleasure, learning, motivation. This is what makes you feel good. Uh, you're getting stuff done, you're being productive, and in the pursuit of this dopamine, you'll be driven to perform the same task again, which is why it's so powerful for habit forming. So that one of the biggest things I, I, I 
hammer down with my clients is like, you have to see success in the small things. So weight loss in general is a really big goal. Like I'm not being, uh, you know, I'm not minimizing it. it. It's a big deal. Weight loss is a big deal. It's hard. It can be really challenging. And it is so, so important that you find the wins in the small things, little successes build up to big ones. Okay. So little wins, you know, just getting up to go for your 15 minute walk in the morning. That's a big win. Yeah. You didn't lose 10 pounds that day, but that you still got up, you still fought the urge to stay in bed and that's a big deal. So you really need to make sure that you hone in on the little wins, the little victories, the little habit completions, um, because that's, what's going to end up leading up to the big one. And that's completing your resolution or doing whatever it was you set out to do this year. So that's just kind of my spiel on habits over resolutions has nothing to do with nutrition. And I'm certainly not an expert on creating habits. I just um, have put these practices into play in my own life. And I consider myself relatively disciplined. There's always room to improve, but um, I think it'll help you help you. It's helped many, many of my clients. And so focus on habits. Don't focus on resolutions, focus on small steps, and that's going to lead to your big one. And that's going to conclude our episode today. Thank you guys for participating. All of these questions were questions that were submitted through my Instagram. So I am really, really incredibly blessed and honored um, and thankful for my followers. And I just wanted to say again, thanks for listening to this podcast. Share it with a friend. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get updates on when I podcast. And if you don't already subscribe to my newsletter, head on over to my Instagram, see my link in bio and sign up for that. I give away freebies all the time, grocery list, all different kinds of things um, that you don't want to miss out on. So make sure you subscribe to my newsletter. Again, that's found in my Instagram link in bio. So I'm excited to hear from you. Take care and have a wonderful rest of your week.